When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Xerox has been around since the beginning of the 20th century. They've faced the brink before when they resolved an antitrust suit with the Federal Trade Commission in 1975, resulting in their share of the copier market dropping to a measly 14%. New ideas and innovations in their products helped them bounce back, but in 2001, they once again found themselves on the brink, facing bankruptcy as their products lost demand in a world going paperless. A small group of executives worked hard to pull the company back from the brink and steer it toward future success. But would this new direction be enough to help them in the long run? This is Xerox on the Brink. Hi, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. And we are here to talk about a huge company, Xerox, and the times that Xerox faced possible dissolution. And and it's interesting to talk about a company that was that big and that influential facing existential crises. And they faced it a few times, including pretty recently. Yeah, so this could be the subject of a future The Brink episode that might go a very different way. But let's quickly give a very high overview of the company. It actually has a very long history. It was founded all the way back in 1906, which is weird. You think about that. You think of Xerox. And when I say Xerox, Ariel, what comes to mind for you? Photocopying. Right. So photocopying. Yeah, exactly. That's, it's almost, it's synonymous Mm -hmm. with photocopying. In fact, we were talking before we came into the studio about Xerox is one of those companies that has a real hard time defending its trademark. Yeah, yeah, like Kleenex or or, Jell-O or Band-Aids. Yes, exactly. These are all companies that have trademarked products or trademarked names, but the name for that version of the product has entered into the general lexicon. That's what we use to, to describe any of that. 
So we wanted to talk about where this company came from and how it got really huge kind of briefly before we get yeah. into the catastrophic brink incidents. And so founded in 1906, and it was a photography paper company mm-hmm. that was just at the dawn of photography when that was really starting to take off. And it wasn't called Xerox at the time. It was called the Halioid Company. Yep. Um, and they were competing with Kodak, who was actually in the photography paper business first. Yeah, Kodak was not far from where they were. They were both no. located in a similar region. And at first, uh, the Halioid Company was considered to be so teeny tiny that Kodak wasn't terribly concerned. they, They didn't really care. But they stuck with it. And then something else happened. It wasn't at the Halioid Company, mm-hmm. but there was a, another development. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, That's a uh, camera photography I joke. I get it. All of our younger listeners won't, though. I know. <laughs> Just shake it like a Polaroid picture. <laughs> so in 1938, a guy named Chester Carlson, and that's such a great name. It is. Uh, developed a process that he called xerography. This is, of course, the earliest version of what would become uh, the photocopying yes. technology. Yes. And it used static electricity to transfer images. Yes. So in in my other life as a technology podcaster, I've actually covered photocopying quite a bit. And this early uh, version, uh, you have a, a sheet of paper and you apply uh, an electric charge to give the paper an, a net charge. It might be a positive charge. It might be a negative charge. It all depends upon what toner you're using. And the toner— I like to use a pleasant tone. Or... Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, let's say, then we'll say it's positive and not negative. So if your toner has a positive charge, then you want to apply a negative charge to the paper. Any place where you apply that negative charge, the toner is going to stick to it, right? So what you do is you have this machine— and it is able to apply this electrostatic charge to a piece of paper, and then some light comes through, and anything that you want to copy blocks the light. So those sections end up not being affected. Everything else, the charge is effectively kind of erased. Then the toner gets attracted to all the spots that still have that charge to it, and you end up with a printed piece of paper. The whole process goes very, very quickly in the grand scheme of things. It's actually phenomenal that the technology works so well. And Chester was the guy who said, I've got this idea. And so he did not take it straight to Xerox. That wasn't even in his plan at all. No, no. He took it to a company called Battelle, which was a nonprofit research organization. And they signed an agreement in 1947 to develop commercial applications for his process. Right. I can invent the thing, but I don't have to go out and try and figure out how to make a company based yeah, on it. Yeah, I think that's pretty smart. Yeah. Xerox would end up, or the company that would become Xerox, would end up licensing that technology. The uh, Xerography copier in 1949, was maybe not the most reliable no. No, device. No, it wasn't good. It just was not good. Yeah, it was It was one of those early prototypes where the principle was sound, but the execution was lacking. The first automatic xerographic machine was the 914 or the 914 that came out in 1960. And yes, it went faster than before, but mm-hmm. it was slow compared to what we see today. Yes, it only, it only made 100,000 copies a month, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is something you would never really brag about today. No, no. I mean, albeit it's a whole lot better than writing 100,000 copies by hand. Yes, ask um, Bart Simpson. It was the first copier that used plain paper and was, like, marketed. Yes. And technically, you would tend to lease these things. You wouldn't buy one. So if you were a business, you would lease the machine from the Halloween company. Yes. And they were pretty successful. This machine took $12.5 million to develop, uh, which is more than Halloween made between 1950 and 1951. But they did make their money back. Yes. By 1968, they had more than a billion dollars in sales. So this was, to put it lightly, a success. Helio would become the Xerox Corporation in 1961. Yep. And then in 1970, they opened Xerox Park, uh, which is P-A-R-C. It stands for the Palo Alto Research Center. Yeah. A little bit of a mouthful, right? Yes. That's why they call it Park. <laughs> so Xerox Park was behind a lot of research and development that would end up being implemented into a lot of the technology we use today. Uh, for one thing, they were able to take an idea of the computer mouse, which they were able to incorporate in a design for a new computer system that had what we would refer to as a graphic user interface or GUI. This is a predecessor to operating systems like Mac OS and Windows. And Xerox actually made a computer called the Alto that could have been a game changer, uh, but the company never chose to actually produce it for the consumer market because consumer market was not where Xerox had yeah. its focus. Yeah, and Xerox has this history of developing really cool technology and ideas and then not being so great at the follow-through. It seems like the company, especially in the 70s and early 80s, had a lot of ideas that, had they entered the common business place, might have been transformative. But uh, instead, you had people like Steve Jobs, who literally asked <laughs> if he could come over to Xerox Park and check out their stuff. And they said, sure, I don't see why not. And then he used it. Yeah, he ended up essentially taking those ideas and incorporating them into the platforms that would become Lisa and Macintosh over at Apple. So the reason why the Mac OS exists, in part, is because of Xerox. Yeah. Now, I mean, he was a little shifty. They're like, why are you stealing Xerox's tech? And he's like, oh, I didn't steal it. I just took their ideas and made them better. Yeah. Um, he also was the guy who would say, you know, a great artist steals he was mm -hmm. very coy about that whole thing, too. Yeah. Now, Xerox did stand up for their patents some. They sued IBM for patent infringement in 1978, and they won $25 million for it. Yep. But they were also starting to encounter some issues because for a while, Xerox was dominating, right? They were mm -hmm. the photocopier company. But it was right around this time where other companies were starting to come out with their own products, and it was starting to eat into their market share. Yeah. Uh, for instance, Kodak, which is kind of payback if you think about it, came out with a really good printer in 1978, and it dropped Xerox's market share from 85% to 40%. Mm -hmm. And so Xerox was still moving forward at this point. Uh, they weren't like you know, giving up the ghost or anything. They also started to launch some new departments and divisions in 1984. They bought a lot of businesses, but while they were doing all this and they were getting really good at developing technology for their internal systems, they were just on the verge of running into some really big problems. And we'll talk about those right after this ad break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. 
It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. So here's Xerox. They had been a dominant figure in the industry, multi-billion dollar global company, grown out of this little photocopier operation. Let's talk about some of the many restructuring and reorganizations that the company has gone through that unfortunately, as these things often do, meant a lot of people lost their jobs in the process. Which did save Xerox in the end, and we'll get to that. Uh, But they kind of hit this slippery slope starting in 1988 with a lot of restructuring and a lot of uh, grasping at straws, basically, to to try to regain market share and regrow their business. Um, and it worked some, but never really good enough. Right. So in 1988, they start with a restructuring. It cost uh, $275 million to do this, and uh, about 2,000 people lost their jobs. They also ended up eliminating some of departments and divisions in that process, Uh, They began to close down things that they had opened up as sort of a test, but they began to realize that sometimes when you diversify, it means that your focus is spread out and you are no longer able to do what you're supposed to do really well. Yeah, progress takes a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Um, So in 1990, now not only are they suffering restructuring issues, uh, they're also getting a lot of competition from the Japanese market. Yep. Uh, Companies like Canon and Ricoh are developing a lot of really good printers to compete with them. And then also we're starting to get into the age of digital media. So Mm -hmm. now you've got these really good printers from overseas and you've got kind of your business is starting to lose a little bit of its relevance. And with the overseas competition, they were starting to see their prices getting undercut. So we had some other big changes. The CEO of the company 
would end up stepping down? Yes, he actually uh, retired to become the U.S. Deputy Secretary of Education, Mm -hmm. which is pretty impressive. But that also happened in 1990, and they restructured the company again. Paul Allaire ended up becoming the new head of Xerox, and they started once again trying to streamline, to reorganize, and to refocus Xerox. Also, between the years 1990 and 1991, profits dropped from about $235 million to $19 million. That's a huge drop in profit. Huge, yeah. And so they shut down their software development department, XSoft, and they laid off about 10% of their employees they hired for it. Uh, And it was only four months after they started it. And they also offered up a severance package. So sometimes companies offer these saying, all right, well, if you accept this retirement package, you know, you're not going to make the same amount that you would be making if you were working here full time, but you will get a good severance package. And we need uh, some of you to just step up like, um, you know, 2,500. Yeah, that's a that's a lot. Yeah. And then between 1991 and 1992, not only did they have to drop all those employees, but they started getting in some law trouble. They had patent disputes, and they had a lawsuit where they had to clean up all this hazardous waste. And uh, they ended up selling off a lot of the companies that they acquired. Yeah, and a lot of their divisions, too. They had the financial services divisions, and they had insurance businesses they had been uh, investing in and acquiring over the years. And in 93, they decided that they were going to try and sell those off. That process dragged on for five years to to actually divest the company of all those, those assets. Yeah. In 1994, they had a little bit of a good idea and a little bit of an uptick. They decided to call themselves the document company so that they could move into the digital media space, basically, and move away from just copiers. And that's when we got the famous Xerox Red X logo. Yep, but then 94 also was another restructuring with another 10,000 jobs cut between 94 to 97. That's incredible. They also ended up getting a new CEO in 98, G. Richard Tommen. Uh, So he came in outside and it turned out that the general investment community did not view this move Positively, No, they didn't. Uh, he was forced to resign after 13 months. Now, I will say, to his credit, he stepped into a really difficult spot. Yeah, but when you see a 60% decline mm-hmm. in your stock value, even if you, you have the excuse of, this was a mess when I walked into it, it doesn't make the results any better. Yeah. Uh, another 9,000 jobs were cut between 98 to 2000. So yeah. I mean, it's just starting to get really, really ugly. Yeah. And then you add on top of that the Y2K scare. No um, one wanted to buy any new products because no yeah. one was sure if it was going to work in, in, in a year or two. <laughs> They're afraid we we're going to move back into the dark ages. Um, and then Brazil, who is actually a really big uh, revenue source for Xerox, hit a bunch of financial woes as well. Yeah, there was a big issue with the Brazilian currency and the U.S. currency that ended up causing a lot of problems right around that point. So they were getting to this section where things were really scary. Tom ends up resigning. Mm -hmm. There was this panic that perhaps the company had completely lost its direction. Xerox as a company had hit such a hard spot. It was clearly reeling. It was going to take a lot of work to really ride it. Well, there were a pair of women Mm -hmm. who stepped up. And they provided leadership that was able to really address the problems and make sure the ship that looked like it was about to sink was going to keep on going 
And we're going to tell you all about those two women in just a minute. But first, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. All right. So how did this pair of women, how how did they turn things around? Well, first of all, let's talk about who they are. Uh, Anne Mulcahy is one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, She would become the president of Xerox in 2000. She had been working for Xerox for years. She had been in the sales and marketing and HR side of the company. The other is Ursula Burns, who was actually friends with Mulcahy. They rose to the ranks of Xerox together. Yeah. And in fact, they were both seen as very capable, both very loyal to the company, too. Yes, yes. Dedicated to the company. Uh, Ursula Burns actually called herself a Xerox lifer. She married another Xerox employee. and uh, Yeah, a scientist who was working in their R&D department. Yes. Yeah, so... Anne, when she was uh, taking on this position, would be essentially one level above uh, Ursula Burns. And the two of them both were really focused on big, big issues, as were, of course, the rest of the executive team. And Anne Mulcahy walks in, and the first thing she's got to deal with is the fact that there was actually a quarterly loss, not just a drop in profit. Mm -hmm. Like we had seen a drop in profit before, but now we saw operating at a loss for one quarter. And it was a doozy as $167 million. So she had a huge challenge ahead of her. Yeah. So to fix this, she focused on cleaning up uh, Xerox's financial accounts, building and strengthening customer relations because the previous CEO had tried to do some mergers and, and some combining of departments that really upset a lot of Xerox customers. They had a lot of customer support issues. So she started repairing those relationships. And she also started moving the company out of a, being a commodity-based business, which they had begun to do, but now they're really focusing on it. Right. The idea being that we really need to make sure we know where our priorities are. She ended up 
uh, having Ursula Burns head up an initiative to outsource manufacturing for Xerox, and that was a money-saving measure. Yeah. I mean, this was not an easy choice to make because it also meant having to address the actual Xerox employees and, yes. and convince them that this was the right choice for the company. And these employees were in a union, so that's extra hard. But they were able to do this. Uh, Burns was able to even go through and look at the manufacturing and supply chain for the company mm-hmm. and to restructure that so that they could save more money and do the work they needed to do more efficiently. And she began to look for people that had promise and give them the training and the support they needed to elevate further into the company. She felt that Xerox is definitely going to need new leadership mm-hmm. to, to rise up as well. They had lost a lot of their superstars, so to say, in the previous restructurings. Um, they also sold a lot of their assets, which dropped operating costs by a billion dollars. This includes stake in their partnership with Fuji. So Fuji mm-hmm. and Xerox are partnered, and now they're like, Fuji, you can have a little bit more of this business here. <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk more about Fuji in a second, too. So in 2001, uh, Anne Mokahi would become the CEO, and in 2002, she would become the chairman for the company. And 2002 also saw another setback for mm-hmm. Xerox. This was not Mulcahy's fault directly, but she was having to deal with the fallout for it. Uh, the company came under allegations that there was accounting fraud. If you listened to our episode about Oracle, you heard us <laughs> talk about how that company was counting promised sales as if they were done deals. Mm-hmm. It was a similar issue with Xerox for this particular allegation that there were a lot of upfront promises that were being treated like they were actual revenue-generating sales and other accounting tactics, let's say, that were not necessarily ethical or legal. And eventually, Anne Mokahi was able to arrange for a settlement for those allegations uh, in return for a $10 million fine, essentially. Yes, and they also re-released their profits and losses from that time period that they were misrepresenting originally. Because again, if you are an investor or a potential investor, a lot of your decisions about whether or not you buy or you hold on to stock is based upon how a company is doing. And if they're misrepresenting how they're doing, there's a whole trust issue there. You've essentially robbed the investors mm-hmm. because some of them may have sold off those shares if they thought, oh, the company is not going in the direction I want it to go in. Yeah, yeah. Now, even though Anne had to clean up this mess that was created right before she stepped in, executives also did have to pay fines um, in 2003 for being a part of that whole deal. Uh, And also renegotiated Xerox's line of credit in 2002, which was very helpful. It was was another healthy line of credit, which had been floundering previously. Mm -hmm. And in 2003, the company had reduced its debt by $7 billion. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And their net income was the highest it had been since the late 90s. So it looked like Xerox was on kind of an upswing, like a return to greatness. Yes. Now, part of that upswing was due to the fact that in 2004, they cut their staff by almost half. So they went from 100,000 staffers to 55,000 staffers. Right. So it's not so much that the company was doing better as it was the company had way fewer costs than it did before by by 45,000 employees. Yes, but it did reduce their debt another $10 billion. Right. And at this time, Burns is starting to think about what 
do we do as a company to ensure our survival and our growth? What can we do to get there? And in 2007, Xerox began to move into a totally new area of business, that of business processing. And they did this not by creating new departments and doing that themselves. They did it by acquiring other companies, which we often see with companies of this size, that if you want to get into a new business, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to buy somebody else who already does that. Yes. And one of these really big acquisitions was Affiliated Computer Services, ACS, in 2009, which happened just about the same time that Ursula M. Burns was named CEO. She uh, became the first black woman CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Yes, and also this was the first time that CEO had passed from one woman to another woman in a company of this size. So two really landmark things in big business. And all the while, we're seeing this transformative era in Xerox where the executive teams are working a Herculean effort to turn around what had been a very dismal situation in the the early 2000s. So Ursula M. Burns takes control of the company and continues to make some pretty tough decisions. Mm -hmm. They were talking about some other acquisitions and what that would mean for the company and would it make sense for Xerox to really enter into a new business because obviously the company had had issues with that before. Yes, and still does to some degree. They also focused on the machines they were making, making them better. Right, essentially kind of incorporating a little bit of AI into Mm -hmm. some of their systems. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Ursula Burns and where she came from, because her story is a very inspiring one. And, it is. And she often downplays some of the elements of it, but I think uh, that may be just humility. First of all, she grew up in New York. She grew up in the projects in New York. Her mom was a single mom. Mm-hmm. She had two siblings as well. And so she ended up attending Polytechnic Institute of New York, Managed to get a, not managed, she earned a degree in mechanical engineering. Uh, She ended up getting an internship with Xerox. Xerox at the time was having this diversification program where they were reaching out to bring in uh, people who were underrepresented within the population of Xerox. Yeah, they're trying to diversify both in bringing in more ethnicity into the company and then also bringing in women. Because Xerox has this mindset that the more people with the more viewpoints you have working for you, the better you can reach out to your widespread customer base, basically. Right, right. That you get stronger with those different perspectives as opposed to weaker. So she had this internship. She was able to get Xerox to help subsidize her graduate work. She Mm -hmm. ended up attending Columbia and got a master's degree there. And she also landed a gig as an executive assistant to an executive after she had words with him. Yeah, they were having a a company tete-a-tete, essentially. And somebody questioned Xerox's desire to diversify their company. And Ursula wasn't upset with the answer that this executive, Wayland Hicks, who was the president of marketing and customer operations gave, she was upset that he bothered to give an answer at all to such a stupid question. Right. And then he was impressed with her response and brought her on as his executive assistant. She rose through the ranks. She was a very quick study and very ambitious and very hardworking. Mm -hmm. And she became the executive assistant of the CEO 
and she became the vice president for worldwide manufacturing. I mean, she was an executive assistant in 91 and a vice president in 99. Yes. Now, in 2002, when the company was really hitting its low point, she did consider leaving. Yes. It's it's the one time I read about her actually considering leaving Xerox. Right. And and uh, she ended up staying because Anne Mulcahy, who would become the president and CEO, when she was named CEO, that convinced Burns that she was going to stay with the company. And then she was named a vice president at that point. And she joined the turnaround team. Mm-hmm. And she became the president in 2007. Known for a no-nonsense style and dedicated to leading Xerox For quite some time, uh, she actually even went so far as to attend a presidential event Mm -hmm. and gave Obama a little (laughs) something to chew on because she said, hey, you know, one of your policies cost my company a whole lot of money, so you owe me $3 billion. Yeah, and Obama's kind of like, are you serious? She's (laughs) like, what else am I supposed to do? Right. Um, I'm representing my, my company. And he added her to an economic think tank in 2011, which is rather fantastic. Now, she ended up stepping down eventually from CEO of all of Xerox, but that's because she led the company to do something pretty dramatic in 2016. Mm -hmm. It was actually split into two independent publicly traded companies. One of those is the document technology and outsourcing company that we really know Xerox for, I would Mm -hmm. say. And it's still called Xerox Corp. And the other one was a business process outsourcing company. That one's Conduent. And so that was under her direction was this big move. And I remember when that was announced a couple of years ago, people were really nervous about how it would turn out. So recently, this got resolved, right? Mm -hmm. So Fujifilm Holding Corporation was supposed to buy the Xerox side of the company. For $6.1 billion. Yeah. But a couple of investors, Carl Icahn and Darwin Deason, didn't like that. Yeah. They they knew that that would severely decrease their shares, and so they launched a suit against it. And the U.S. court actually sided with them and blocked the deal with Fuji to avoid a possible monopoly situation. Yeah, we've talked about Carl Icahn multiple times, the the activist investor. Mm-hmm. He has been on multiple sides of various large corporate maneuvers. And uh, sometimes I happen to agree with his stance and sometimes Mm -hmm. I don't. Yes. But yeah, this was one of those cases where he was successful in using his leverage. Yes. But it did cause these tensions between Xerox and Fuji Xerox, the Fuji Film Holding Corp, because Xerox had been using Fuji as a vendor. Mm -hmm. And after this break, neither company was sure that they were going to keep their vendor relationship anymore because Fuji was exploring legal options to collect damages for the break of the deal. Yeah. However, it looks like it's all kind of settled at this point. Icon has named John Vizinton as the, the new CEO of Xerox. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'm butchering his name. <laughs> and I apologize for that. But I'm a plebeian. So hardware at Xerox is now in its own Department, Which is interesting to me because the split in the first place was to kind of split the hardware and the software. Yeah, but the argument is that without doing this, you can't have either side do the actions it needs to take in order to grow as a company, Mm -hmm. right? So this way they can focus on what they do and not have to worry about a larger entity that has lots of different moving parts. Yeah, so they, they put the hardware into its own department. They launched a global software team 
because again, Visitin really thinks that future growth is in technology. Mm-hmm. So, and they're looking at creating a flatter, more streamlined hierarchy. So, mm-hmm. not having like such a tall level of management, I imagine. Yes, and Visitin and Fuji Chairman Shigetaka Kamori. Mm-hmm. met after this whole incident, and it seems like they've smoothed over their relations. It is quoted by Mr. Komori that they can maintain their existing alliance. <laughs> Sounds very militaristic. Yes. Yes. Now, as for the two women who helped really keep Xerox going when it was in that downward spiral— Anne Mokahi became the chair of the Save the Children Foundation, and she served as the chair from 2009 to 2017. And she's also on several other boards, so she remains a voice of leadership for many different companies, but otherwise she has stepped back. And in 2018, she was given a Bauer Award for Business Leadership. And Ursula Burns also uh, sits on several boards. She served as a program leader for the STEM program in 2015 and 2016. And um, one of the boards she sits on is a company we'll have to cover on the brink because, holy cow, 2017 was a year of the brink for a company. And that company would be Uber. Yes. And she's on the board. And if she could turn around Xerox... Maybe she can help turn around Uber. Yes, but she also, in April of 2018, joined a drink company called Diageo, I think. Diageo? Diageo. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not cool and hep with all the drinks. I still just drink my Coca-Cola. I'm more of a Pepsi girl. And in 2017, she was elected chairwoman of the telecommunications company Vion. So... Really an interesting story to see how much work had to go into saving this. I mean, this was a company that people really believed in or else it would have just slowly melted away, right? But but you can tell that among at least a certain population at Xerox, there are employees and executives who really are passionate about that company and the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's very inspiring and also mm-hmm. a great story. So I'm glad we were able to look into this. And uh, that wraps up our story about Xerox on the brink. So until next time, I've been Ariel Kasten. And I have been Jonathan Strickland. If you would like to learn more about what we've talked about, as well as keep track of all of our episodes, make sure you visit our website at thebrinkpodcast.show. Or you can email us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home.
Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.